Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Let us begin. I'm going to take that mic for a second here. Oh, hell, you want to talk? <laughs> He's ready to go. Sorry, hey. we were going to intro banter. Okay, so welcome to the uh, podcast here. It's great to be back in Rome with Father Mike Rapp. Missed that guy. Over oh, the break. likewise, buddy. And I missed everybody back home. Yeah, we uh, had a good couple of weeks. He was working hard here on the uh, dissertation. And uh, <laughs> we have a, uh, a guest here, which means we have to share Mike. So he's awkwardly I'm postured. Yeah, he's kind of, kind of doing this weird yoga position to talk into around. the... It's like that game, uh, Twister. Was that the game in the 80s? You know, I've of, taken into stretching again. Have you? I got really tight, and then my muscles were just like screaming at me when mm. I was try- trying to sleep. So I... Started to, not yoga as such, but at least stretching. It's kind of a New Year's thing. I think we need to do more stretching. That's your New Year's resolution? Well, deep breathing this year. Oh, okay. It's my New Year's resolution. I was telling people, I think in December, your, uh, last time I talked to you, your New Year's resolution was to not have a resolution. I was like, that is very punk, you know? Oh, yeah. But you, you've resolved something. No, no, I did. I did. Well, there's actually two of them. One is the deep breathing. I had read something from Mother Teresa. They said, like, what is... What's really wrong with the Western world, or what could we do to make the world a better place? And she says, uh, people could breathe deep, more deeply. Really? So I say, all right, in honor of Mother Teresa. I feel like there's a lot of these Mother Teresa quotes floating around, you know, like the oh, greatest yeah. evil in the world is receiving communion on the hand. Do you hear people say these things? I was like, yeah, yeah. Was she just like off know. the cuff? I mean, we need myth, myth busters or something. Yeah, I don't exactly. even know that she said anything. Did she have a Twitter me? account that we didn't know about and she was just kind of, you know, you can't, putting the stuff out? You can't out go there. wrong breathing deep, though, I think. So breathing so deep. So there's that then, one, and then there's um, try to, to see some live music once a month. Oh, so if you know of any, like, Jazz clubs. He actually plays live music. Punk. We haven't even introduced him, but we're talking about the mystery man in the you room do? here. You do? You do live music? <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, <laughs> Father Austin Litke is uh, with us. The The fans said, give us more Litke. It's like, give us more cowbell. Well, look, so. I've been listening to the podcast for eight years, and I've been asking you <laughs> to be on the podcast for those eight years, and so... Well, yeah. Well, okay, so I'm not the only one. That's fine. Well, we mentioned he, he was an illustrious... Uh, guest on the spring podcast with the Bernardi kids, but I guess that doesn't count. That's not, you know. It's not the same. Not the same. It's not the same as being in the man cave here. Yeah, so it's great to have you with us. It's great. Here, cheers. We got a real Kentucky guy with us. I'm so happy to see that this is actually real. The last of our bourbon uh, supply is... uh, That's a hint to the listeners. (laughs) That's right. No, no, no. Just what we brought over. Actually, we have received uh, very, very generously this Christmas season, um, and uh, we're going to mention that at the end of the podcast, right? We've got a mail slip here to remind us to well, talk about that. You've got to talk into the mic if you're going to talk. Uh, I want to hear about the live music thing. Is that for real, or is that like Mother Teresa's quote? No, it's real. I mean, uh, well, to plug one thing that I was involved with, uh, when I was in Washington, D.C., at our House of Studies, the Dominican House of Studies, we had a band called the Hillbilly Thomists, and the sort of second generation of the band has just put out an album, actually, which you can get on iTunes or other things, but we I could play I could give you a, a live concert. He's quite good. Yeah. He's quite good. But yeah, I think you got to get a band together. If he, we do, uh, that's the problem here. Well, we'll see what the Bernardi kids bring this. There's year. not a lot of live music opportunities. It seems like at least if they are, we don't know about them. So yeah, I mean, there's lots of like kind of classical music things in the city. Those aren't always super expensive. You could do one that. of my favorite live performances um, of memory here in Rome. Do you know what I'm about to say? The talent show. 
two years ago when James Platania just stood up and just started singing Hebrew songs. <laughs> and he was calling out to the Polish sisters in the front row to join him, and they were like totally <laughs> like Soviet faces. It was just like, no. And he just kept kept going for it. It was just Hebrew whatever. Was he singing psalms? I You would know. He was doing yoga, yeah. yeah. Hebrew yoga? <laughs> He, okay. But he is uh, James Platania. You never know. So Father James, I don't think he listens, but he's one of our favorites who is no longer here with us. Uh, they come and go quickly out of this place. It's true. Yeah. That's true. No, Rome kind of turns over with guys coming and doing degrees and going back home to actually work. Right. And those of us who have yet to <laughs> <laughs> embark on such a thing That's right. so are still here. Father Austin is a fellow doctoral student. Um, oh, you got any other? I saw another live show here that I wanted to ask you about. <laughs> There was a gospel choir at Santa Maria Sopra Minerva. Oh, it was out of control. And a light show. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure there was a fog machine or something. Yeah, it was. It was one of the more unusual things I've seen. It was a year. ruckus. But you don't seem to know about that. that I was, could have been sleepwalking or... It felt like it. ...inebriated or something. Italians are kind of fascinated by evangelical sort of Baptist choir. It's so exotic to them that... You know, whereas we would say, well, that's not actually particularly Catholic, and so we're not going to encourage that. Maybe um, to them, it's just exotic, and they they kind of have it. The light show is not uncommon, though, here in Rome. I mean, there's the famous one at is it the Jesu? Where's the light show oh, at the, the Tomb of Saint Ignatius? Every evening they do the little show. Yeah, yeah. this was like a huge production. This was oh, like, this is like a much massive. I mean, imagine you're looking at the front of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, and it's like full of people up on a stage. Oh, so it wasn't inside the and church. And then there's one guy going crazy. Remember, he was just going. The leader was just, and people were, I mean, it was like, I honestly thought Mike put some drugs in something I <laughs> ate because I was like, this is, this. it felt like out of a dream. It was It was totally nuts. When was this? This was uh, in the fall at some point. I don't okay. know. It all blurs together. But it was inside the church. Inside the church. Like on the main altar. Yeah. yeah. We I was not behind that. Well, I guess keep hanging around that church to maybe get some more uh, live music. But you're looking for like, you're looking for like you want Italian? jazz, you want rock and roll, class, classical music, chamber music. You're into all that. Yeah. What about trip hop? Chris Lebsock liked the the trip hop. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but it sounds cool. <laughs> the uh, yeah, well, you always have live Irish music. I feel like everywhere you go, there's there's like. People playing Irish. One of these Irish pubs Irish has pubs. to do Irish music. Here. I think Abbey Theater does it regularly, and I think it's actually pretty good. But I've never been swarming with American students usually. Yeah, so exactly. We try and. What about know. the uh, the Scottish connection? Would he know anything about that? The Scottish connection. Joe McGill spent thirty five minutes trying to teach me how to say Edinburgh, right? <laughs> yesterday, and he was he left defeated. He, he was just like poor guy. You're a loser. Yeah. So, well, let's talk for a second about Father Litke. He doesn't have a microphone. Just ignore him. So Mike just asked me if I play. I've not picked up an Irish accent. No, it's more of a psychological kind of rebellion against the Irish that I have, and I think mostly he lives yeah. with the Irish. I live with Irish Dominicans at San Clemente. San Clemente, and you are in your third. This fourth, is my fourth year here. Fourth year. So we've got three, four, five, six, <laughs> twelve. This is your. How many years you've been here? Yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we have the full thing. But it's all uh, weird doctoral life now. We, we can kind of lament on that. I, I finally can share that. Like, I've become the crazy doctoral student that kind of just hides in the shadows and is buried in books. It's kind of weirdly emotionally... 
<laughs> despondent on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of like glazed look in your eye usually. Mm-hmm. Kind of, he's seeing light shows everywhere in Santa Maria, Sofa, Minerva, <laughs> and all these different places. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm not convinced by yeah. that. Yeah. So your project, though, is the... You really want to know about this? Just sum it up really briefly. People are interested in this stuff. Who is this <laughs> mystery, mystery Dominican? No, so I'm working on a doctorate in the Fathers of the Church in patristic theology, and I'm concentrating in what we call post-Chalcedonian Christology, so Christology that developed after, the theology of Christ that developed after the Council of Chalcedon in 451. And I'm concentrating on a group of monks called the Scythian monks who were active the beginning of the 6th century. And they come from a place called Scythia Minor, which is modern-day Romania, kind of the eastern part of Romania, along the Black Sea. And they were part of a controversy about how to understand um, how to understand that the sufferings of Christ and his human nature uh, were attributable to uh, the divine word, to the Son of God, that way. That was pretty good. Is that good right? summary, yeah. Okay. I just found out that the Coptics, the Ethiopians, are not um, Chalcedonian. So Copts, right, and Ethiopia, they're, they're different churches, Sorry, of they're course. Different, but, yeah. but yeah, Copts are what we would call Oriental Orthodox, yeah. and so they'd be non-Chalcedonian Orthodox. Wow, yeah. crazy. And everybody listening is just like, what? This is crazy. I did not <laughs> think that was coming. But honestly, one of the reasons we have you on this podcast today is because we have to make up for the lack of content that happened when Goebel was telling pinochle stories for 45 minutes. Uh, no, it was great to podcast with the Goebel. But before we go into the topic here, we have to uh, talk a little more about Father Austin Lickie. We met, it's been a while now. Uh, college seminary. You were yeah. ahead of me. So you came, I came the in fall of 20... 2022. Oh, so, well, 2002. So <laughs> yeah. 2002. Not even 20. Can't even say that. Yeah, it was t- 2002. Yeah. Yeah, the fall of 2002. And you were already in. And I was a junior that year. Studying for For the Owensboro? Diocese of Owensboro, Kentucky, the western half of Kentucky, one of the most beautiful places on the earth. Mm-hmm. Bourbon, no, really, Bourbon would be located within the Archdiocese of Louisville. Those are the kind of the bourbon counties. But Bard, uh, was it Bardstown a diocese? I so Bardstown uh, was one of the three um, archdioceses established after Baltimore. So basically, Balt- so it was Baltimore, and then there was New York, Boston, and Bardstown. Yeah. And so Bardstown had everything west of well, Boston and New York. I mean, it was absolutely huge. But now it's in Louisville. So now it's in Louisville. Yeah. Lu- excuse me. <laughs> It's in Worcester. I, mean, I did that one with all the Massachusetts guys. They were roaring, laughing. Yeah, so they oh, moved Worcester, to huh? in Louisville. You know, um, Eastern. Okay, well, we have to back We're being up. too we're loud, I guess. Loud. Sorry. Sorry, Molly, you're going to have to adjust that. We get really We're going to get excited. nervous and talkative when okay, we talk. No. Is it chopping? Okay. Hey, hey, hey. You know, okay. I can turn I this down. I can start messing with all these buttons <laughs> and valves. You know, we're good. The... Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it feels like a long time ago that we were together in uh, in seminary, and then you went off uh, discerned the call of the Dominicans and uh, headed east. That's right. So I joined the Eastern Province, and uh, where's our House of Studies is in Washington D.C. So I spent six years there. I entered the Vindivisiate in two thousand five, and then um, went to Washington in two thousand six and was there for six years, during which I made solemn vows. Got ordained a deacon, was ordained a priest in 2011, a week after you. So I entered seminary right. two years before you. Right. It was ordained a week after you. That's right. And um, I think that the uh, we kept in touch, but we really like reconnected um, at the Focus Conference when yes. we both found ourselves college chaplains, newly ordained, and being like, what 
are we doing? We have absolutely no idea what's going on. Yeah, I mean, you had had a bit of experience of sort of the secular school world a bit, but I had been in the Catholic bubble since I was, you know, a kindergartner. Uh, I went to Baptist kindergarten, actually, but then (laughs) uh, it was Kentucky. But then Catholic schools from then on. And so, yeah, but we found ourselves being college. I was at NYU, you were at... CU. CU Boulder. Right? Let's go Buffs. And uh, uh, I would say go Violets, but we don't really... <laughs> they have like NYU football t-shirts. Of course, there is no NYU football team. Oh, it's yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But uh, so I was there for two years, and we overlapped, I guess, for at least a year. Two years, I guess, maybe we overlapped. I think so, yeah. And uh, and then I was sent on for studies yeah. after that. It all so. blurs together at this point. We were working with these college seminaries now at SJV. And they were like, oh, did you know such and such? I was like, no, I don't think so. What about such and such? I'm like, no. And they're like, when were you there again? I was like, (laughs) I left like 14 years ago. And they're like, oh, wow. Well, I was born before then. Yeah. And we're coming up on uh, 35 this year. Are you 35 already? I turned 36 on Wednesday. Whoa, that's right. Well, I don't know when this is coming out. but Happy birthday. Yeah, it'll come out the day. uh, Yeah, a week afterwards. so. So I'm just a little bit ahead of you guys. Yeah. Yes, we have to figure out something to do. I'm sure we'll find something. We'll find something. <laughs> we'll find something to do. It's a tricky January. Mid-January birthdays are kind of tricky because everybody's coming back, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, Well, oh, growing wait. up, it was the worst growing yeah. up, too, because your parents would say, oh, we'll give you this, but then we'll give you the other part of it for your birthday. Yeah. So they give you, like, the toy car, but, like, the engine for your birthday. It was the worst. It was, it was the you absolute give, worst. Do you want the left shoe or the right shoe for Christmas? <laughs> exactly. so, how's our volume? Do we need to keep talking quieter? It's better now. It's we much gotta better. we step back a little bit. So. Okay. Well, it really is great to have you together. And we're going to be um, kicking off year two with Bernardi. Uh, here, Indeed. They're, they're coming, in just a few weeks. They're coming in a few weeks. you got a conference in, uh, in the States going back for it, but then we'll all be together. Uh, but it's like weird because, do you remember this time last year? We had no idea like, we had who no are these clue. people. And now we, we know them all. And uh, they were all the ones saying, you got to get Father Licky. you got to get Father Licky on the podcast. And I said, no way, that guy... <laughs> That guy's too smart and too witty, and uh, so he's not welcome on this podcast. So, but eight years, you've finally succumbed. Finally succumbed. So cheers, cheers, so you cheers. Are. and, and so happy good to be with 20, you. 30, 30, 45th, whatever birthday it is. Cheers to <laughs> thank you, Austin, Father Austin Litke. Thank you, brothers. No, it's good to be. It's really great to be uh, on the podcast. No, in all seriousness, just because you know when y'all started this eight years ago, I just um, have always just seen it as such a really beautiful response to. Yeah, just this call of the Holy Father, which um, uh, you just said, look, we are, we're seminarians. Y'all were still seminarians at the mm-hmm. point, right? We all were. And just kind of say, no, the Holy Father wants this sort of work. We're in the States. We're young seminarians, and so we're going to try and make a go of this. And podcasts come and go, uh, but y'all have kind of stuck around. It's really great to see. So um, We also accidentally stepped into it before people started listening to podcasts, and uh, that was kind of a nice, nice little... Nice little surprise. So I will say, just as a cautionary note that has nothing to do with anything, really, if I accidentally send you a text message from Rome, anybody, I'm talking about anybody in, in the United States, <laughs> trying to talk to Father Austin Licky, <laughs> please do not respond with the F word, which is what happened today. So Just hours ago. <laughs> yeah. we were, So we're standing at the door, and he texts me. I'm here, come down, and I said, okay, I'll be right down. And then I look at my phone, and it says, F you. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, are you doing okay? And you're like, and I'm like, seriously, are you doing all right? And he's like, yeah, I am fine. And I was like, no, like, you stressed? Like, dissertation getting to you? Because it seems like, just sound a little stressed. And you're like, nope, you know, just working away. And I was like, 
well, then why did you send me this text? And you're like, oh, my God, I didn't send you that. So. No, it's, it's some factory worker in Brooklyn who got that number from you. <laughs> we, did, we did identify it as a New York number. It's which, a New York number, 917. Yeah, That answers part of it. But uh, so. Yeah, that's right. That's going to really help you identify who it is at this point. But <laughs> I wish I could say that was the first time that's happened, but I, uh, I got rid of my American number, and I sent an email to everybody I knew when I moved to Rome. And, of course, everybody reads emails, right, Mike? Obviously. Right. Everybody reads emails. Nobody reads emails. So I said in bold, please delete this phone number. Yep. Well, for the next two years... No way. <laughs> ...they're texting this guy, and I don't know where he was, but he, t- he played along with it for a long time. You know, like my, my first birthday, um, since I had moved away, a ton of people texted him, and he's writing back, hey, tell Father John, happy birthday. But then eventually he broke down and just said, I am so, so fed up with this. And then I think it started, it's usually the F word, usually I think the just the, the quickest response to everybody. So. No, it's a funny thing that can happen that way. Yeah, and so you miss a lot of texts from people, this happens. This and then they think me. I'm, yeah. And then, yeah, people think you're, you're either not responding or... They're giving you like kind of weird non-responses as well. Yeah. yeah this it, is very strange. Yeah. Even today, Father Shane Demon. Nice email, but never got it. You know? Oh yeah. I got rid of that email ten years ago. But I guess it's still It's probably the first one that popped up on his little Well, that's part of the problem. These things are supposed to make our life better. They don't. They don't. He's holding up a phone, but holding up an iPhone. So unfortunately, they're not making life better. Ever Father James Shaw said to me one time, he's like uh, supposedly everything's wireless, but he's like, I have more wires in my office than I've ever had. <laughs> it's very funny. I actually. love that you casually just dropped James Shaw, you know, Jimmy Shaw, you know. We Father James at, Shaw at Georgetown is a good friend of mine. For that's me. good. I'm thinking of the, the phone number thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to sit on the floor? And, yeah. I, I have, I have this, I have very, no, there's not room for two of you on the floor. Position. Sorry, you can just adjust it. Oh, I just wanted to throw in, I'm like shouting from the side now. <laughs> Uh, that <laughs> this summer, I got uh, I got a new phone, and the De- the Denver County Police Department kept calling me and saying, "Sir, we need you to come in." and And I was like, "What did I do? What did I do?" And it it took like three or four calls. Uh, I never ended up going down to the like. I don't know, a county courthouse or whatever. But for me to realize that this was not for me. This is not for you. But I was so nervous. <laughs> I don't I get scared like if I'm gonna get in trouble or something. That's well, all. That's good. I'm happy. Yeah, that would have been a you probably bought some bootleg cell phone. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Yeah, where did you find that phone? <laughs> yeah. We don't want to ask where you got it from. Oh, you yeah. took that phone out of the car you stole. That's where you got it from. Well, haven't you seen enough sense. mafia movies to know you don't buy prepaid cell phones? <laughs> 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 I, mean, I miss on. the days of the car phone, though. You know, uh, I think the of that, Zach Morris car phone. Yeah, and there's that Seinfeld episode where the guy steals his car. Do you remember that? And he's he calls his phone and he's talking to the guy and he's like, well, "When are you going to bring it back?" And he's like, "I don't know. I'm just you know." And he's talking to him. <laughs> I was like, "Car phones." My brother was a five year old. We were at whatever Walmart or whatever, and uh, he was walking around. He filled out one of those things and put it in. And we got a call the next day. <laughs> hey, we'd like to. Ste-. My dad answers the phone and they were like, "We'd like to ste- uh, speak with Steve Nepple," and he's like. Um, you can, but he's five, and they're like, well, he just won a car phone. So, Steve, <laughs> Steve, Steve had our first family car phone because he just luckiest kid ever. So. Well, our vocation director got a uh, an application from a guy one time, and so um, gets this application form. He's like, okay, he's like, I'm going to be. He was going on some sort of preaching tour or something like this, and so he was going to be close to this address. And so he said, I, he wrote him and said, hey, I'd like to come make a visit, do an interview with you. Fine. So he walks up to the door, rings the doorbell, and this woman answers the door. And he's like, can I talk to John, please? And he's like, and she's like, okay. There's got this priest asking for John. Okay. John comes. He's like, 
nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, so I think he had to develop new strategies about how to take applications yeah, from then on. That's yeah. funny. Please send a photo. Yeah. I mean, maybe in the Middle Ages we took, you know, nine-year-olds, but not these days. Not these days. That's funny. Yeah. Well, we got a... Uh, Licky was reading the uh, recent um, whatever people complaining about the banter on <laughs> iTunes. <laughs> I did. It was pretty scathing. You got a so. lot of banter haters out there. <laughs> man, oh man, this is like the most controversial thing uh, out there. So I, you know, we better just kind of slide we in. We could move the, into content if you'd like. Kind of like two categories. One, so there's kind of two categories though. One is like totally irrelevant and insider banter, which we could kind of spread out, I guess. Talk to something. Talk about stuff that's more relevant yeah, that's to people's true. lives. And then the other one is just I hate banter, yeah. and I don't know exactly what to do about that one except recommend Catholic bites or yeah. Some but it is an immediate thing. Yeah, no banter on Catholic bites. There actually. is none. They have no time for that. I've been on Catholic bites by the way have numerous you? times. So have we. We were absolutely the worst episode ever recorded on Catholic <laughs> bites. No, they didn't even publish it. it was, because it takes us so long to get going, you know? Right. So we started doing this, and they were like, no, eh, this you just isn't hit it. seven minutes, yeah. and uh, you were supposed to say something intelligent. <laughs> we're like, ooh, sorry. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it wasn't our finest hour, but um, <laughs> I, it's funny. When you meet people listening to the podcast, it's usually their first confession. It's like, love the banter, hate the banter. It's like, you know, right. just like the sheep and the goats kind of get separated. Yeah. yeah, but people have different things they're looking for in a podcast, so you can understand why. Yeah, you can. Yeah. The other funny thing about the banter is uh, people say it's like we're about to go in, and then and the plane, and then we yeah. relay in the plane again, and then we kind of taxi for a bit and <laughs> <laughs> drive around, and then we take off again, and it's like, oh, no, no, we're slipping back in, so... But now we're officially... Are we bantering about banter right now? And we talk more it's about... It's very meta. I don't know. If I, <laughs> I don't know. Very meta. So, Okay, so you have a topic, I think. Well, I was going to maybe respond to what you asked me to respond to right. when you and Father Nathan were discussing the Immaculate Conception. Right, so we're calling in the Inquisition here to uh, lay claims against one Father Nathan Goebel for his heresy and... Uh, well, I, I, when I, I actually listened to that podcast, uh, I listened to lots of them, but I because I, you told me I had to respond to this one. I mean, so the question was, I think, did the human nature of Christ need grace? Um, because there's a certain intuitive answer would say no. Right, that was because his intuition. He's, it's the humanity of Jesus. So he's, a no, very, he's a very intuitive man. Well, just to say, you could say, okay, if, if you're going to be, you know, a kind of typical... Uh, orthodox believer and just kind of say, yes, I believe that Jesus of Nazareth was God, then his human nature doesn't need grace because he's God. Right. We're the only ones that need grace because we're not God. I mean, that's that's rather intuitive, and that right. kind of makes sense, actually. But the problem is that uh, the human nature of Christ is not God until it's united to his divinity. And there are certain effects to that union, and that's what the whole kind of tradition about talking about the grace of Christ is all about. Um, and so it's actually a really important thing to, to kind of think about. But again, intuitively, I would say it's not it's not the first thing you would come up with. You know? I was hoping you'd be much harsher, but that was a very nice uh, read on it. Honestly, we were just going off the cuff, as we usually do, so I'm, I'm just giving them a hard time. No, no, so it's good. So, But you come up with these things, and you kind of say, okay, well then, okay, the church, I mean, like this is in the catechism, so I mean, like this is not just theological opinion, right. actually, as well. Um, but to say that the human nature of Christ needs grace, well, then we have to think about, first of all, what grace is, and then what human nature is, and what that relationship is, mm-hmm. to make any sense of that. First of all, to say, what was the human nature of Christ? How, how was it the same, and how was it different? Those are All those questions kind of go into it, it seems to me. And the first thing to say is that the human nature of Christ is a created human nature. 
it's the same as ours in that sense. It has to be because if it's not the same as ours, if it's some sort of like heavenly human nature, you know, which in the history of the church, you have people that thought this, that right. it was this sort of cosmic humanity that sort of just like descended out of heaven or something mm-hmm. like this. This is why things like the Immaculate Conception, why the nativity of Christ, that he's born, he has like a human birth, he has a human upbringing. These are so important because he actually lived human life and human development. And that makes him... That, that shows that he is just like us in that sense. Mm-hmm. He's consubstantial with us, which we don't talk about a whole lot. You know, We often talk about cons- well, when people talk about being consubstantial. They talk about the Nicene Creed and that Jesus is consubstantial with the Father. The Son is consubstantial with the Father. But also in his human nature, he's consubstantial with us, which means he, he shares our nature. He's the same kind of thing that we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that human nature, though, is limited. And... Um, has all the sort of limitations, even outside of sin, even outside of what we lost out of original innocence, which I don't know if we need to go into that as well. Again, this, this could take hours, unfortunately. Well, I think that the uh, this is a really important thing um, for the for the church fathers. So the first couple centuries um, after you know uh, scriptures are written and um, the fathers are unpacking them, these are the big controversies: is how do we articulate who is this person, Jesus. Right, because we see him doing human things. Right. We see him doing divine things. Right. And so how to understand that we think that this person uh, in front of us is God, but he's doing both human and divine things at the same time. And so the church tries to understand that in a particular way, using scriptural language and kind of examining the scriptures and taking that data, but that at a certain point, very early in the church's history, they said, the language of scripture, in a sense, isn't sufficient for us to come to understand what's being revealed to us in Christ. And so mm-hmm. we need to kind of use the language of human philosophy mm-hmm. to figure this out. And so this is where certain terms like homoousion, which just means the same in substance, uh, come out of. And so it's not, in a sense, an addition to Scripture. It's really just the using all of our human tools to understand what Scripture is actually communicating to us in some way. I have this memory from the University of St. Thomas and Reader that did you take um, Dr. Christopher Thompson's Introduction to the Thomistic Tradition class? No, because I took um, his Moral Theology class, because ah, okay. he said Intro to Thomas was sort of... Um, was sort of moral theology on ice, and he said, you should just take, take the moral theology stuff. straight up, uh, you know, so yeah. that's what I did. Yeah, and, and now you're drinking it <laughs> on ice. And now we're drinking on ice, but, you know, sorry, Dr. Thompson. He, uh, I just have this memory of, for some reason, I got on his bad side, I think, early on, and uh, he would just come into class, and he would stare at me, and he would just start drilling me with questions, and they were usually around this thing about... He would oh, I would say, first of all, that has nothing to do with you. It was just... And second of all, he's because he thought you were you know, capable of it, I would Well, say. I don't think I was very capable because he would just say, and I, I literally, but it was a great teaching moment because he just hammered it into me. Hmm. How many natures does Christ have? Two. Is, uh, and what are they? Divine, human. Is Christ person, human or divine? Uh, divine. And then, okay. And then every day he would ask me about six of those questions, and it just like really did hammer it in, and it was really... Uh, Really helpful in this regard. Maybe you should try sitting in a different seat. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Okay, I want to know. That's what smart. So, people. if you, okay, so Jesus shares the same uh, substance, this consubstantial with us. He he shares the circumstances of life that is birth and uh, being created. Um, that's not just circumstances, but anyway, right? So life with us and. <clears throat> Uh, but I don't see the connection necessarily between that and saying you need grace. Because, uh, I don't know, hypothetically, if there wasn't a fall, then y- y- if there was no sin or evil, y- then we wouldn't 
Would we? I mean, you, you're you just good, and what do you need salvation for or something? What are you saved from, you know? Sure. So that's, so that's why you have to understand how were we created. And we have to say that we were created in grace, actually. So that Adam and Eve lived in a state of grace, and they also lived in what we call the preternatural gifts. And so they were kept from experiencing certain limitations of human nature, actually. So death, for example. Death is natural to the human being, but God gave Adam and Eve, seemingly, a preternatural gift to not die, which they lost in original sin. But human nature itself is limited, it's material, we disintegrate without being held together otherwise, we just are going to die without it. Same thing with grace, is that we had a certain participation in grace um, at that moment which we lost. It was this sort of offer that was given and that original sin, as opposed to thinking it as like an act of like some bad thing Adam and Eve did. There's another way of thinking about it as this sort of, there was the offer of divine life, there was the offer of participation in divine life, which is what grace is. If we want a definition of what grace is, grace just is a created share, a created participation in divine life. You know, Um, (laughs) that's it. I yeah. wish you could see my hands because yes. it's a really good kind There's of gesture. A lot of, uh, we're closing uh, a Ziploc bag, I think. Yep. <laughs> and that's a good, yeah, actually, that's exactly what it is. You're putting it in the bag, that's what you need. When you need your grace definition, you that's open good. Up the very bag, helpful. You know? um, and so they were given this offer, but they rejected it. And that's what kind of original sin, that sin of disobedience, you know, is, is, the, is that rejection of divine life, or at least on those terms, you know, in that sense. I think the distinction would be that it was the, because the humanity of Christ was graced because of its union with the divinity. Exactly. Right? So Instead then we want like to say Mary or Adam and Eve prior to the fall, right? Precisely. So um, what we want to say then is that for the humanity of even of Christ to do divine things requires the work of grace. Just like any other humanity does, actually. So for us to make an act of faith, which is to have the mind of God, is another way of thinking about faith. We have to have grace to do that in order to, for our human heart to love with charity, which is divine charity, which is divine love, we have to have grace that makes us able to do that. So too, the human nature of Christ. Now, the mode by which we receive grace and the mode by which Christ's human nature receive grace are, uh, we have to say, qualitatively different because um, we, there's different ways of thinking. In scriptural language, Christ is the natural son of the Father, whereas we are the adopted sons and daughters of the Father. And there's something qualitatively different about our sonship than what Christ has in his sonship. In metaphysical terms, then, we would say, mm. whereas Christ's um, humanity is joined hypostatically, substantially, just essentially, substantially, uh, to God, ours is um, joined to God accidentally. So, you know, within metaphysics, within philosophical, kind of classical metaphysics, the difference between substance and accidents. Substance is something that has kind of concrete individual being in and of itself. Accident is something that can change over time, and the thing can still remain the same, even though that's changed. Grace for us is an accident in philosophical language, Mm. you know, and that we can lose it and gain it. Mm -hmm. We can change. We are what we are with or without grace in that sense. Mm. There may be modern theologians who think that this is, you know, not helpful. (laughs) But... um, (laughs) I knew it. Okay. But <laughs> how long did it take? No, 30 minutes. That's good. Uh, okay. Uh, but, uh, but it's a really important thing to say because some people in the history of the church have said, basically what Christ is, is just the highest example of what mm-hmm. we can become in grace. And this is what, you know, someone like Nestorius, Pelagius, you know, these things that we've heard from the history of the church. This is kind of what they said. What's that? 
Okay, there are certain there are lots of modern theologians who think this. I'm not going to go into that unless Father John provokes me. I, I'm not saying um, it. I'm okay. just listening attentively. Uh, but but it's really important to kind of see that what because what do we believe about Christ? We believe that the Son of God, one of the persons of the Trinity, at a certain moment in history, in His divine nature, takes on a human nature, which includes uh, a human body, a human soul. Again, what we think of as what human nature is. He takes that on to himself and he starts to operate within that human nature. And from that union, there are certain graces given to that human nature to make it capable of doing the things that the divine person wants to do in that human nature. Hmm. And that's what we talk about, the graces of union in the humanity of Christ. And so, uh, whereas, so, so to look at what the loss of grace, the loss of that original innocence that happens in our humanity, what does it do to us? It darkens our intellect, it weakens our will, and it uh, obscures our passions. You know, uh, In Christ, none of those things existed. He had a perfectly ordered intellect, enlightened intellect, that actually had access to the divine mind. He actually had the beatific vision in his human existence, we believe. This is seemingly church teaching as well, uh, even if some people don't want to believe that. Live, yeah. um, I have two questions for you. Yeah. I don't want to cut you off. No, I, I wish you... Yeah, please. Um, am I correct, being the good Thomas that I am, in calling it capital grace is the name? Good. Uh, no, that's very good. I'm glad to see you and reading then I question eight know, of the Tertiary Fires this morning. <laughs> and then um, I also want, I want you to explain the communication of idioms, okay. if you don't mind. Yeah, so both those things are really important. So... Um, First of all, the idea of capital grace. So what does that mean? Capital just comes from the Latin word for head, caput. Okay. Uh, and so the idea is that Christ is the head of all of humanity. He's the head of the church. And in this sort of classical, kind of medieval um, sense that um, whenever you receive an effect from something, that the one the cause has to have whatever happens in the effect in itself. And so the fact that we receive graces from Christ means that he has to have in himself all of those graces that we would receive from him as a sort of head, kind of trickle-down grace, you know, right. if you want to put it in sort of Reagan 80s economics terms, <laughs> you know, uh, and that sits. And so that's what kind of the capital grace... There's also a beautiful ecclesiological point um, about capital grace, is that every human being in the history of the world is somehow related to Christ because of his capital grace and because of because of him being a human, uh, having uh, human nature, you know, in that sense, that every single human being is related to him in some way, shape, or form, either as being part of the blessed, part of, you know, being believers here, those who participate in grace, those who potentially could participate in grace, you know. So uh, St. Thomas has this really beautiful question uh, in, uh, in the Tertia Pars of the Summa Theologia, uh, where he talks about like every single human being is somehow potentially related to the church in that sense as well. It's a really kind of beautiful evangelical sense well as well, that, we, that what the job of the church's preachers and just of any Christian is to give witness and to try and actualize that potential uh, in every single human being that exists to be related to Christ through grace in that sense. Uh, studying the church, um, especially Charles Journet, who's a great... Um, uh, Thomas of the last century, um, it's a really nice thing to be able to view the church in terms of grace, you know, instead mm-hmm. of just kind of this hierarchical or sociological phenomenon, which is a lot of times what it gets reduced to, but to see it as this instrument of grace um, um, connected to the head, to the capital grace of Christ and flowing from it as the body of Christ. Because I think a lot of times we reduce the church to this kind of shell 
And we, I think we reduce grace to kind of this like karma type thing that's right. just kind of out there and kind mm-hmm. of just the force. It's yeah. like when Joe Digert would call Oofle Dust down on the uh, <laughs> when we were playing euchre together, and uh, he was getting bad cards. You know, it's kind of like Oofle Dust everywhere, and, yeah. and it, it's not connected. It's not personal, and now it's not is, life. Yeah. This is why I talk like talking about grace as a participation in divine life. It's right. a created participation in divine life, and so we talk about like the grace of faith, the grace of charity. That's only different from our point of view. It's all the life of God. It's just that faith is a grace that affects our intellect and our will in a very particular way. Charity is a way that affects our loves, you know, um, but it's all grace. and It's mm-hmm. all the life of God. And it's all us being joined life of God. And then when you look at, say, the hierarchy of the church in terms of grace, it's sort of like the inverted pyramid at that point. No longer is like Pope, cardinals, bishops, people, you know, kind of there to kind of make sure that the Pope and everyone have enough stuff to wear or something. <laughs> but it's actually the, quite the opposite, is that the whole point of the church is so that believers can have access to the right. grace that Christ has won us on the, on the cross, but also in the incarnation itself. And that priests, bishops, popes, the church, everything is at the service of people having access to and living in that participation in divine life. It's a much better kind of model of the church, actually. Yeah. So then the communication of idioms, this is helpful uh, and a really important concept, um, but the term itself is something you just kind of throw around as a sort of cocktail party or something, I guess. Uh, No, but communication of idioms. So communication just means when you try to make something into one, a sort of sharing, okay? And then idioms, uh, it comes from a a Greek word, which means something that is uh, your own, your, your, your own thing. And so the idea is this. Human nature has a whole set of idiomata, okay, of idioms, that is certain proper properties, things that belong to it. So human nature, what can we do that's proper to human being, human beings? We sleep, we eat, we drink, we can suffer, we die, we think, we will. You know, all these sorts of things that are proper to human nature, all right? And then there are certain things that are proper to divine nature, to be omniscient omnipotent, eternal, impassable, you know, all these sorts of things. And what the communication of idioms, this doctrine that really comes out of the Christological controversies of the 5th century, uh, what it says is that in Christ, we can share those idioms across those two natures so that you can say things like, in Christ, God suffers. In Christ, man is divine. You know, these sorts of things. Um, And so that's what the communication of idioms refers to. And in the 5th century, particularly in the debates between Cyril of Alexandria and Nestorius, it was a question about whether that was an illicit thing to say or not. Mm -hmm. But the Council of Ephesus, Council of Chalcedon, every council since then, uh, really says that, yes, in Christ, so properly understood, because it's not proper to say the divine nature can die. That is improper to say. But to say that in Christ, God died. God died on the cross. Uh, is totally proper to say if we're referring to Christ in that sense. So that's what the communication of idioms really refers to. Excellent. It seems to me. Um, just to clarify, just to make sure that people don't listen to 45 minutes and say, I don't actually think I actually learned what they were actually supposed to talk about today. The reason that we talk about the grace of Christ is because his human nature needs grace in order to do the things God wants to do in his human nature. And so in order to... Um, to operate in his divine omnipotence through the humanity of Christ requires a certain grace, you know, that way. Uh, in order to do all those sorts of things, just requires that grace. And there's an analogy, it's not the exact same thing, it's qualitatively different, but there is an analogy between what happens in Christ and what happens in us as well. Because in order for us to make an act of faith, we have to have the grace of God to do that. In order to make an act of charity, 
you know, whereby in our human love, we love divinely, which is what the truth of charity is all about. Uh, that requires grace in us, in that sense. It's really important at the same moment, though, to say, while Christ's human nature had grace, we don't think that he had things like faith, for example. Because uh, what is faith? We have that great definition. Um, it's, um, you know, now that, I'm, now that I'm saying, you don't believe in things that you... Uh, can see. There you go. Exactly. I just blanked. If you hadn't given me two (laughs) things of uh, bourbon at this point. That's right. Um, You can pass the mic there. Yeah. Well, it's... Bible guy. Yeah. Knowledge of things unseen. You know. But it's a a confident knowledge. Like, it's it's, it's a real awareness of things that are real and being able to say, to recognize that they are, uh, even though you can't uh, prove it or see it or sense it the yeah. same way that we can the rest of nature. See, that's why we keep the Bible guy in the room. No, it's very he, good. He's just breathing deeply over no, there in the he's, corner. He's breathing deeply. He's saying deep things. <laughs> no, but it's important to say... Stretching. If we believe that Christ has that beatific vision, then he has vision of the things of God. He doesn't have to believe them. You know, So it's, like, it's a really important difference right. in the graces that Christ have as opposed to what we have. But that that vision that Christ has in his human nature as the Son of God, is something akin to what we will have in heaven. Because, of course, faith doesn't exist in heaven. Hope doesn't exist in heaven. Charity will, because heaven just is charity. Um, and so we'll participate that in the fullest extent possible. Um, but, uh, but that's why the human nature of Christ needs grace in that sense, in that uh, even Christ's human nature uh, is a real human nature, and so is really limited. And so in order for God's grace or God's kind of work to work and shine through his human nature requires grace, you know, in that sense. The fathers of the church have this great example about how this works. They talk about iron that's put into a fire. And so you have iron has certain properties to it, right? It's hard. It can cut things. um, It's durable, you know, this sort of thing. When you put it in fire, it takes on other properties. It's still Mm. iron, but now it can burn something, for example, you know, uh, it can still cut, but it can also burn now, you know, and this, it's not changed. And this is what the fathers of the church were really uh, emphatic about, is that in the incarnation, the divine nature is not changed. He's still fully divine and he's fully human. There's a full human nature there. And so everything that is proper to human nature is in Christ. And this is why we can say when Christ has no sin in him, we can say sin is not proper to human nature. It's a mistake. Mm, yeah. It's, it's a lack. It's something that's not proper to it. Uh, and so in, human, in Christ's human nature, we see, this is one of the great teachings of the Second Vatican Council, you know, that in Christ, we, we have God revealing man to himself, you know, in that sense. And that we see uh, really the apex um, of what human nature is capable. Um, and then in Our Lady, we have another example of that. But of course, she's really kind of the, uh, the height uh, on our side, of the equation in that sense of what's capable. It's interesting. Um, first off, well done. That was a very good uh, explanation. He's a great teacher, isn't he, Mikey? Yeah. yeah he, Thanks. He teaches uh, very well. But um, I was just going to make a, a one more question for you here about, um, and then I'll let Mike uh, take it. But it seems to me the history of uh, grace, when you study the theology of grace, that uh, for Aquinas, a grace does two things. It elevates and it heals. That's right. Yep. But the elevation part, I think, oftentimes kind of falls away. And, mm-hmm. and we get in trouble. You look at like some of the modern uh, controversies, because it, it seems to me like the last four centuries, the hottest debates 
the most complicated stuff is around these anthropological questions. Okay, grace of how nature, does grace yeah. nature work? And mm-hmm. a lot of it is because of the loss of this elevation and the loss of the kind of Christological foundation of grace. Yeah. So grace then becomes the, solely this kind of healing thing where it just makes me kind of, I don't know, it just makes me get rid of sin and, and kind of, instead of actually elevating, and I think we forget that. I think that living in grace, actually, it doesn't just make us really nice people. And, yeah, you know? Christianity as a sort of self-help program, right. you know, which is what so much of, yeah, like you say, kind of modern spirituality kind of tends to, because that's really all we kind of want. We've become, this is one of the the effects, I think, of the Enlightenment um, is that we've had a, a kind of a closed system of the world, that the world is so big and beautiful and lovely and that we just kind of want to be good participants of the right. world. And we've forgotten that the gospel actually... Um, takes us out of that in some way. It, it totally affirms the goodness of the world. But then divinization is a real thing, you know? And this is what... something Most people talk about divinization just being a sort of Eastern Christian thing. It's actually both and, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. But, but like you talk about elevation, it's just another way of talking about divinization, is that the work of grace is not just to kind of return us back to our original state, but it's actually bringing us into something even higher than what our nature would have been capable of even outside of sin. Hmm. Divine life. Divine life with the Trinity forever. Knowing, loving God, and everything else that comes from God as he knows and loves those things. That's the goal. And that's what grace makes us capable of. And our human nature, even on its best day, outside of original sin, would never have been able to do that. And that's what the real grace... This is why the the exultet you know, at the Easter Vigil talks about, oh, happy fault... Oh, how great that sin came and made grace necessary, not just to heal us, but also to elevate us. Because we have something that even Adam didn't have. This is why you have that great icon of, of Easter in the Byzantine tradition, where Christ is going down into hell on Holy Saturday, risen, triumphant, uh, not experiencing damnation, uh, and goes <laughs> and, and saves and saves Adam and Eve from yeah. the underworld. Right. You know, because before Christ, hell is indiscriminate of the just and the unjust. And it's only in Christ, and it's only at that moment after he has given the sacrifice of the cross that human nature is able to participate in divine life eternally in that sense. And so uh, that's why, like you say, the doctrine of elevation is so important. And we've lost that, I think, because of the polemics around the Reformation. Also, I think the Enlightenment model that this world just is all we really need. Not even is it just kind of all there is, but it's also just kind of what we need. Um, but modern, most postmodern nihilism has kind of taken that dream away as well, it seems to me. Um, and so it, it's the moment is ripe to kind of say, no, actually, divine life is the goal, and mm. that's what we're here for. Mike Rapp, you got any uh, thoughts, feelings, desires here? Well, no, we... I just had a question. I, it seems there's kind of like, well, I'm, now I'm going intuitive, so you're going to have to bear with me here. Uh, but it seems like one of the more modern problems with this whole schema is not that it's it's not like been clearly de- defined or or taught uh, worked out as it were but that the experience of the saints seems to present a, a different kind of problem in uh, in a certain form which is like in contemplative prayer you have saints that are talking about dark night of faith or Mother Teresa, who's been in desolation in a dark place, one not with, with like lacking that immediacy of the presence of God. So Jesus doesn't need faith. 
he's got this everything he knows things so he doesn't have to trust he doesn't have to leap over and uh, because they're there i know blue to be blue because i see blue i don't worry about whether or not it's true um but then what if part of human limitation um comes uh, finds a sort of chasm between the crea the created and the and the non-created and it's Saints end up in this situation where um, they're wondering, like, God, where are you? It's not, God, are you, but God, where are you? And, and then you have expressions from Jesus, like, I don't know your will, but your will be done. Or, why have you forsaken me? Or, there's things that he suffers that we're trying to make sense of with this sense of, like, how did he share in that part of Christian experience, which is, like, this can be hard sometimes to believe, you know? No, I mean, the classical place for that in the tradition is with Maximus the Confessor in the 7th century, who is trying to understand um, during a thing called the monothelite, monoarganist uh, controversy, which was um, the, the big question was, uh, does Christ have one or two wills? Now, this seems kind of, kind of abstract and you know, sort of not, not particularly helpful, but it deals with the real theological problem. It's just this. It's that, fine, I'll grant that Christ is a human nature and a divine nature, that's rather, again, intuitive, if you want to put it that way, because you just see him doing divine and human things. You have to kind of posit that somehow philosophically. But in the end, we say that he ends up doing what God wants all the time. And so there must just be one will or one energy, which is just kind of one placement of kind of action, you know, in, uh, in, his, um, in his being, if you want to put it that way. But what St. Maximus and, you know, the other uh, uh, diethelites, you know, diethelites, of the seventh century and what the third council of Constantinople teaches um, is that uh, no, if we say that Christ has a full human nature, he also has a full human will and that that human will, particularly in a moment like the garden of Gethsemane, you know, where he says, uh, if you can let this pass me by, let it, which is what an expression of his human nature. It is totally normal, natural, even in a perfected human nature to look at suffering and say, Ugh, I don't want that. I just don't want that. But then to realize, because he has full vision of the, human, of the divine nature, of the divine mind, of the divine will, and knows that this has to happen uh, for the sake of the salvation of the world, your will be done. You know, and so you see those two things in perfect synergy, even though there's, there's a two, both natures are being fully expressed at the same moment that way. And like you say, the experience of the saints is something similar actually, is that there's a sort of darkness of the human mind. There's a certain darkness of the human will in the face of the divine mind and the divine will. Um, I don't know that we can explain it much more than that. It just is the case, and it shows the sheer difference between the two. And whereas I think an outsider, a non-believer, might look at that and say, this is totally dehumanizing, that you have to kind of give up your will, in a sense, uh, to be a faithful Christian. And the problem is that that's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, you can't get around that. Mm. And this is why I think, you know, you get to uh, a certain impasse um, within certain modern polemics, modern apologetics. And it's like, I can't explain this to you anymore because the problem is not a syllogism. It's a whole personal experience. It's a whole um, self-sacrifice. It's a whole gift of the self that has to come about here. And you're either willing to see that, you either see that as the full completion of your being or you don't. You know, 
now, I don't think you start RCIA like this, you know, <laughs> but in the end, it mm-hmm. does come to this. And even in people who are going through RCIA, I'm sure we've all had this experience. Like, they do come to a point where it's like, I get all the reasons. The arguments, I don't have any more reasons for you. It's just, can I choose to make this leap mm-hmm. or not? And this is why faith is not merely an intellectual thing. It is deeply suited, you know, seated in the will as well. And this is why St. Augustine's right about most things, actually. Uh, but, but this in particular, that most problems are in the will. And uh, to make that jump into kind of, uh, and to see that this is not inhumane, this is not a dumbing down of my mind or my will, it's actually the highest elevation of it because it's the joining of it to divine nature in grace. I was just going to add to that, um, this is kind of not connected, but to your point, Mike, um, Kierkegaard really introduces the category of experience into theology in a new way with existentialism and it becomes kind of the question of modern man not that it wasn't dealt with in the past in different ways but it become like experience what was the experience of christ okay mm-hmm. okay all that that's nice but like what did he experience in the garden that that's kind of the modern question so i think that's what a lot of these modern theologians mm-hmm. these you know some of whom are bad guys some of whom are maybe misunderstood by <laughs> thomas um no i'm just joking um but i think w- People are interested in that. How could Mother Teresa suffer darkness for all these years? How can she experience that if grace is an elevation of human nature? Um, what does that mean? And that that's kind of, I think, where we're, where we're at right now, and I think that's a lot of the, the question. But what we have found and what we have seen in the last century is if you're not rooted in the tradition, in terms of if you don't have a, a robust theology of grace, um, then you get in trouble pretty quick. Um, you, you can't interpret psychologically or existentially uh, without that. And so that's why podcasts like this are very helpful. So Absolutely. Well done. Uh, we usually close with some shout-outs, unless you have any final remarks. Here. I could go on for days, but so yeah. maybe you'll have me back on at some point. Maybe. Well, <laughs> what's eight years from now? 2025. <laughs> oh, gosh, you're a horrible <laughs> person. We'll all still be here working on our dissertations. No, uh, if you have any shout-outs, any, here's your chance. If you I want, feel like I should, because it, I think the I think probably the only reason that you've actually let me on this show is that you've had two girls from Brooklyn <laughs> been emailing you like you know, every other day for the last three years. That was part of so the... So Justine and Margaret Fernandez are two lovely... Uh, sisters, blood sisters, uh, from Brooklyn that I got to know when I was in New York, from a great family, the Fernandez family, that I got to know while I was there. And um, they're really sweet ladies, and they love the podcast. I told them to listen to the podcast, by the way. Thank so it's you. not appreciate as that. if, you know, right. I'm not helping you guys out. I appreciate that, yeah. And, uh, but they listen very faithfully, and I think they're the ones who really have been goading you for the last... Well, uh, there's one other, one of your former students from last spring who really was, she kind of sealed the deal. Who was that? Emily Dolsky. Emily Dolsky. Emily Dolsky said, the fans want Litke. And I said, okay, we got to... What a good girl. We got to get Litke. She plays the ukulele. We found that out like very late in the semester. I know. It's like, where was this? There's your live music for you, you know? So She is gone, She's gone. Good. Anybody else? I'm going to put those two for now. And maybe if I ever get back on, I'll I'll put some... You'll be on in about 10 minutes when we do the next one. I can't wait. All right, good. I'm going to throw a couple out there. Uh, Chris Lanciati, our friend. Soda Light is catching up on the podcast, and he ran into a certain Maria Masterson, my French teacher from the What's summer. What's up, Chris and, and Maria? And he was like, "Oh, you're the French teacher," and she got all nervous, and you know, because is he uh, going to take some French? I Chris, don't know. I don't know. If I he's recommend doing. it. Yeah. Um, 
Father Luke Strand came through town this week. I don't think he listens, but a lot of his Milwaukee boys listen. So the guys who go go. to seminary in uh, Milwaukee, who do listen to the podcast, um, Zach Galante is not in Milwaukee. Tell your priest father uh, that we say hello. Tell tell your vice rector to start listening to the podcast. But these uh, the Strand family has three boys who are priests. One's a Jesuit, and two are diocesan. They're good friends of ours. So great friends. Great to meet them. And then lastly, uh, Katie Jillian and Abby Murdoch. Uh, these are friends of Matt Miller, and they're kind of super fans of Father John Kelly of the Companions in uh, St. Paul. Oh, yeah, who's not a super fan? I know. He's a great guy. And so these sisters listen, and so we're kind of surprising them with a shout-out thanks to what Matt. What about Matt Miller? And his, and his sister, Rachel, and Aaron, her okay. husband, who we had lunch go. with at Abruzzi. Yeah, yeah, I, was, I, was, I got on my list here, but uh, that's it. So, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. And a uh, shout-out to... Who'd you, who'd you meet today? <laughs> yeah, that's usually how it goes. No, this one is for Mitch Kelly, who wrote a really nice um, email thanking me for uh, the kind of the witness. What do we do, like a vocation story episode? Yeah. And uh, right. and the Lord worked through uh, my vocation story, especially my sharing kind of difficulties with faith. And so I thought this would be an appropriate time, uh, just having talked about faith and Beautiful. Jesus. And so um, one other was uh, Phil Mesker, who took me out for a beer right after New Year's, who was in Rome, a guy from Columbus, Ohio, who um, is a great single, living with a, in, in fraternity, fraternity with a household of missionaries. Huh. So they do their jobs. He's an engineer. And then they go and evangelize on the streets, on the campus, and everything in their free time. So, you know, real heroes, and uh, and also happens to be fan of the podcast. Very nice, good. Well, uh, a special thanks again to our good friend here, Father Austin. Uh, just a joy to be with. He's he's a long time friend of the Companions. He's been with us uh, since this. We started the whole thing. He was friends of the Companions when we were in St. Paul been a great supporter of us and of the podcast uh and uh, he's one of the best uh natural teachers i know so just listening to him explain difficult uh concepts is great so i hope you enjoyed it today all of you listening i love thanks again so oh i thought you were talking and again 2025 we look forward to having you back <laughs> so, <laughs> you're a horrible person <laughs> so yeah. but that's it for this week Goble. i hope you listened and uh we're taking notes and uh happy feast day of saint thomas aquinas which will be coming up here in a few days true enough yes. happy birthday to you as well thank you very and much. uh i look forward to uh, another semester with the new bernardians here Can't wait. in a couple weeks catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening and like us on facebook and we'll see you next week